Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we preview and review Dynamite, Collision, Raw, Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events, wrestler interviews, wrestling discussion roundtables, and around it the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture not this week a month what were your overall thoughts on this show good a good dynamite um a hot episode of dynamite which is not just like last week's one was trash but the fans were receiving it as such you were watching a sub monday night raw show with a monday night raw crowd and it was all wrong it's one thing when the dynamite crowds don't feel up for an episode you're enjoying or vice versa Last week, the fans like gave what they were given, ultimately. This was the opposite of both. I genuinely felt um, like there was a bit of electricity back in the air. Yeah. I'd be lying. We've talked about this over the desk this morning. I'd be lying if I said it was effective as they clearly wanted it to be in terms of getting me personally hyped for all in. I think I'm just where I am, and it's going to be like getting off the tube station seeing Wembley, and that's just my own subjective sort of feelings towards this show. But I... Had to admire the effort from afar. Like, really, could really see the effort being made to get people as jazzed as they possibly could for the show with four days <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Could have done with this for a month. I, on Twitter, in shorthand, referred to this as a last-minute winner yeah. scored by Tony Khan. I've since scaled back my opinion to a last-minute equaliser <laughs> um, in a home game that you should have won. Yes. Where you're expecting to trounce your opposition... Three o'clock kickoff. They're fourteenth. You should really do them, and you haven't. And you kind of like Asimovian. That one. Shut up, man. Yeah. You're screaming your team on. Yeah, man. We were terrible. That's that's uh, what. <laughs> you're screaming your team on. You're almost drawing them into the opposition's goal. They yeah. finally do it in the last minute. And you're like, it's relief that oh, I can be a little bit happy that things are going right. Mm. And I think after such a mazy, la- uh, slapdash, compromised, low effort, bizarre build, they finally got a good go home show, and they really, really mm. got me hyped for a lot of the matches that, frankly, I knew would be good on the night, but I wasn't really heavily invested in. So a last minute equalizer at home against a team that you should have trounced because they should have trounced this. Yeah, stuff clicked last night. Yeah. But, like, it's it's now too late, really, to bother 
asking why it hasn't clicked beforehand. I think that's it. They've like they've done it now. So uh, it's I uh, it's and you know we've done that. Go back and listen to our Dynamite preview. I still think the thoughts are relevant, even though Dynamite's yeah. actually happened. And they will be relevant when All In is amazing as well, which we have to keep saying. Yeah, because the show is going to be amazing. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great show. He's right. Like we will. There will be people that assume that, and like because of all the weeks and weeks of discourse and the weird transatlantic divide between Brits and Americans and all that, like there will be people that are going to be doing victory laps and I told you so's and all the rest of it. This show's going to be awesome. It's going to be, it's going to be a special night. It's going to be awesome. There are now six pay-per-views. I don't think they're going to do this one again. But no. there are six AEW pay-per-views. I never wanted it to be, oh, well, it'll be great on the night because I don't want to watch six great nights of AEW when they produce 260 hours of TV a year. I've now revised my opinion. They can now do 12. Yeah. I'm not saying there haven't been great dynamites between pay-per-view cycles, but I do have, I remain to have fundamental issues with the the booking, the oversized roster, the tropes, like stuff that we've covered extensively. But as an isolated show last night, I thought there was some genuine, as you said, electricity in the air and magic in the craft of how it was put together. And I'm looking forward to getting into it. But we should note that the show started. This is how I found out as well. So oh. I go to bed early on um, a Wednesday night. And there was a memorial graphic for the late, unbelievably great Terry Funk, who sadly um, passed away yesterday. Um, and I'm not really going to get another chance to mm-hmm. give my thoughts, I don't think, on Terry Funk. Um, so I'm going to do so now. I first became aware of Terry Funk um, when I really got into sort of outside of the WWF Attitude Era bubble like in 1998. Mm-hmm. It was my first exposure to Funk. And I could infer his legend, and they did such a great, like Paul Heyman, did such a phenomenal job of telling you yeah. this man is it. Funk Terry Funk. And he's yeah. so, we're so grateful to have him. And obviously, because I'm watching it through, what, 12, 13-year-old eyes, you can see it's an old man in there. And I thought the way he moved and the way he sold because of his age was like more feature than bug. Yeah. And I thought this guy is obviously very old, physically broken down, and I can infer enough of his legend. I'd be lying if I said I just got it straight away, Mm. Terry Funk, but I thought the fact that he's so good at selling this anguish with this old broken body and fighting through it is like kind of a feature, not a bug. Even if, like, my 13-year-old mind can't grasp his legend and the scale of how great he is. And I just thought, like, the reason why he's so good at selling is because this evidently hurts him. And then I go back and revisit his career, and I realize, no, this man is just a genius <laughs> at his craft and is so good at selling. I'd be lying if I said he's my favorite wrestler of all time. Everyone knows that's Kenny Omega. Um, but I don't think there is a single professional wrestler on earth that was better at selling than Terry Funk. In that old-fashioned way, I think there's more than one way to sell. Um, But your classic pro wrestling selling struggle, where you just look beaten down in a bloody brawl, there's no one better at conveying this guy is seriously hurt and this is real to me, damn it, than Mm -hmm. Terry Funk. And that also extends to when Terry Funk was in promo battles with people or cutting promos on people, like the animosity that he was able to engineer, I think is almost unparalleled in the business. Everyone else will talk quite rightly about his selfless nature. Like one of the only people from his generation who actually adopted the maxim of 
leave wrestling better than he found it. Yeah. That's well documented with his work in ECW and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm not going to go over that. But just in terms of how he was able to portray this fundamentally silly craft that is pro wrestling and make it look real and feel real and feel like every rival that he had consumed his very being. I don't think I've ever believed it more when I saw Terry Funk. And tonight, I'm going to watch the Great American Bash 1989 match with Ric Flair. Yeah. No, when was that? The I Quit was Clash, wasn't it? Uh, I Quit was Clash. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. That's the one. That is the one. Like, I watched that They do the promo, like, Chai Tom Rumble? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch the I Quit from Clash because it's one of my favorite matches ever. It's a go-to. And I don't want to, especially with Funk and how he was as a man and as a wrestler, I don't want to go into a tangent about old school versus new school because he himself would hate that. Yeah. However, when I watch that match, I always think something's missing. You know, when in modern wrestling, you know, when you watch it and you think, maybe it's a little bit choreographed at times or maybe they don't do enough to really create some hatred. I feel like the whole idea of hatred is really overlooked in pro wrestling right now with the melodrama in WWE and what I refer to as the Maisie indirect booking in AEW. I feel like wrestling just needs some pure old-fashioned hatred back. Um, I never get that more palpable sense of two people who hate each other and really want to hurt each other and make each other just quit when I watch Funk Flair from Clash. It's just magic, and it feels like if there's ever a match that I'd want any wrestler to watch, it would be that. Right, yeah. It's, Terry Funk wasn't my favourite wrestler, but he was my favourite wrestler's favourite wrestlers, and he was probably yours too. Like, yeah. very few have got a legacy like his. And, you know, you Eddie know, Kingston says he's the GOAT. Yeah, like Locks we... adores him. Brett. Even Kenny Omega does a Terry Funk-style work punch. Yeah. You'd never think he would be inspired by him. That's it. Like, we're talking here as Bret Hart and Kenny Omega guys that both... Like, we were talking about homages yesterday. Like, homages to Terry Funk are littered throughout, like, so many wrestlers that you are familiar with his legacy and his influence, even if you don't know it. He's one of those guys. And I think, like, he deserves the plaudits he's getting in a way that few others from, obviously, he was across multiple eras, but there'll be plenty of uh, 70s and 80s, less so 90s, because that stuff, all of it was captured, and all of it was captured digitally as well. But 70s and 80s guys especially that were doing what he was doing, that simply won't be regarded in the same way because they didn't, well, they didn't and they couldn't, but they didn't and they couldn't carry on the way that Terry Funk did in a way that was so respectful to the stuff that was coming after. Like, to your point, he wouldn't want people to lionise his ear. I know I feel at, guilty for saying that. At the expense of another one. Yeah. Because he didn't want that in his work. And I think that's what, like, that's why generations love him and the locker, like the people that got to share locker rooms with him that probably wouldn't have otherwise shared locker rooms with people from his eras. I think is why his legacy is going to stand tall above so many. Um, it almost doesn't matter what you think of Terry Funk's work or what your favourite Terry Funk moment or match was. Like, even if he doesn't make your top ten, so many things that you love about wrestling are because of Terry Funk. And I think that's what, like, will come now that he's passed away, especially, this, is, this always happens, that will come to light again and again and again and again and again. And the tributes don't feel forced or isolated to a niche fan base of this one specific wrestler. I am not stupid. When favourites of mine, such as Kevin Nash, pass away, there will be people to which that means everything, and there will be those that which mean very little. I don't think that applies to Terry no, Funk at, at all. all. And, uh, like, just to the point about him as a person, it's, like, 
as just fans, ultimately, which is what we are, it's quite nice to be able to not have the caveats and qualifiers that apply to so many wrestlers from so many generations. Yeah. Ric Flair is going to die. Vince McMahon is going to die. And what difficult conversations we're all going to have as we trip over what we want to say without paying tribute to this or without talking about that. There are so few like Terry Funk. That's, a, that. that's a great point to make. I try because I feel like it is important. You know, I'm not saying that I'm a massively important voice in the wrestling community and all the rest of it. But whenever someone of that stature dies, I always like to just try and put a tribute out there mm. on Twitter um, just to keep their name in the conversation and to like add to it yeah, so that people know that these people were incredibly well-respected and worthy of being remembered. There are certain times when I feel like, should I tweet about this person? Mm. Like, is it ethical yeah. to say a, a few words in tribute, no matter how insignificant, on a fundamentally horrible platform like Twitter? Because I watched a shoot interview with this person, and they said they did this. Or I watched a shoot interview from the 2000s, where this wrestler said something about this one who's just died, and I'm thinking, I can't really pay tribute to that because that person sounds horrible. None of that with Terry Funk. No, no. None of that. One more thing, because this will be a long review. Um, and again, I'm probably going to tweet this because I think it's a really important point to make, that for the fact that he's possibly the most respected and beloved wrestler ever amongst fans and peers alike, he was so good. He's known as the guy who was good at everything. Mm. He brawl great technician in his day before he adapted um, great as a babyface, great as a heel. He's the guy who was great at everything. And I think he will go down as the best all-rounder ever, if not the best ever. Yeah. But certainly the best all-rounder. It's him and, like, Bobby Heenan feel like two of the yeah. front runners for that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. He destroyed the maximum, the maximum, sorry, of you're meant to be yourself with the volume turned off. Like, that's the most natural way to get over, and that's how the greats do it. For all of Terry Funk's selfless approach to wrestling, his spotless reputation as a family man, just one of the nicest people to have ever been involved in a corny racket, the man was so sinister. Yeah. <laughs> like, the two examples are that horrible probe he cuts on Flair ahead of the table break angle, yeah. where he's just trying to get at him, pecking at his psyche, being oh, horrible. I'm sorry, nature boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. horrible, isn't it? Yeah. And even, in a, like, this will never get tweeted because it was so you know insignificant, the um, shotgun Saturday night promo with Austin. Yeah. I want to rumble, you want to rumble, because and it just sounds like it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Old guy who just wants to fight. Nature's the nicest bloke. Aye. The absolute nicest bloke. Well, that's why Hollywood welcomed him because he could actually act, and not, yeah, not many wrestlers can. And he was he was beloved by those that worked with him in Hollywood. And there's specific roles. And like you told a great story this morning, but like it's just I think it's like wrestling all the cinema crack this year. I think has been done with a wink and nudge because it's okay that wrestlers aren't the best actors because they're yeah. great wrestlers. You wouldn't expect like actors to come in and take a load of bumps. That's all right. Different disciplines. Terry Funk was pretty good. Yeah, no, because like, you couldn't be delivering the promos you were delivering if you weren't good. Yeah. On that story, because people want to hear the story, uh, back in the old office, um, you might know Ewan Patterson, if you um, watched our comics channel or our gaming or main channels, and if you don't, subscribe to them. Yeah. Um, Ewan's really good. Uh, me and Ewan were um, espousing the brilliance of Roadhouse, <laughs> which Terry Funk once starred in. And we were just talking about it and how great it is and how so bad it's good it is and all the rest of it. And um, I said, oh, Murray, have you ever watched Roadhouse? 
And he was in, you know how Murray can be a smart arse at times? Yeah. Very blunt. In his most smart arse mode possible, he went, I don't care about this. This has got a wrestler in it. And I went, yes, Terry Funk's in it, Murray. <laughs> and he just, I've never seen, I've never known a more perfect. It's like, you know when scriptwriters write something purely so another character can knock it back? Yeah. That you happened. don't get them in real life, do you? That happened in real life? Yeah. <laughs> Is there a wrestler in it? Terry Funk! <laughs> Terry Funk's in it, actually, dickhead. You're only short of saying, he fights Ishii. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing you can stop it short of. That was one of those magic moments of my sad um, life. <laughs> so on to switching gears to Dynamite <laughs> after Excalibur's absolutely <laughs> yeah. ridiculous thing. Um, it starts off with a, um, a match, air quotes, between the Elite and Juice Robinson and the Guns, which never officially begins um, because as the heels are walking down the ramp to make their entrance, in what initially scanned to me is a very fake thing, um, the elite go and just try and chin them on the ramp as if, mm. like, I hate you guys so much that we're just going to do a hailstorm of fists. And it's like, do you care that much? Do I believe it? And I didn't. And then over the course of this incredible brawl, I got hyped for the match I most resent in pro wrestling history. Considering <laughs> what Kenny Omega should yeah. or could be doing all in, I, I resent this guaranteed four-and-a-half-star trios match at Wembley and the idea that they were so full of rage that they had to go and chin them straight away. I just thought, this is a total load of bollocks and you are lying to me and it's actually quite patronizing and as the brawl progresses and Juice Robinson chins Rick Knox, <laughs> huge pep, um, I just get really into it because this was really in the DNA of early Dynamite. One of the reasons why I think I love this episode or at least the first hour so much. Um, they are so good at doing these roles with loads of different people like i've said this quite often how often is it just a massive limbs that you feel nothing for an obligatory brawl because the wrestlers hate the other wrestlers mm. and it's all wrestling they are so good at the rhythms of a brawl and it doesn't feel like turn taken because it's all so well crafted so by the time you get omega doing the bang and he's about to v-trigger someone when Takeshita comes in they're so good at arranging all the moving parts that you forgive Kenny for not spotting him because they're so good at this elegant oxymoronic controlled chaos, if I'm making any sense yeah. whatsoever. And the exchanges between Omega and Takeshita were... Oh, my God. You loved the... Oh, my God. Jay White's crumbling off the V-trigger. Like, and that's only just a oh my God. piece of things to come between the two of them. Like, uh, we were talking yesterday about the Takeshita match and how, yeah, that'll do. But you'd be lying if you said they hadn't called that as well. Yeah. They just about straight heated up the idea of Omega J. White yeah. in one sequence in that, opening, in that opening brawl, which we should point out as well for anybody that wants to levy this segment with this criticism. Um, old AEW would absolutely not abide by a match that is presented as a graphic and instead is an angle instead. But we're not in old AEW anymore. And what old AEW did do was establish enough rules that you can break them and it can feel like a transgression. And that's what this was. A match getting thrown out that didn't feel... It was a bait and switch, but it didn't feel like one. And I know that to some will sound like a generous pass, but I think this angle was 20 times hotter than a match ever would have been. Uh, and you were fooled and you were wrong-footed because of the match graphic. So I kind of welcomed it. On that as well, um, AEW has this year for me just came perilously close to the WWE comparisons. I've seen one too many impromptu matches. I understand some people like them. I just would like a really good explanation as to why they happen. Mm. Um, we have seen 
What the WWE things have they done quite a lot? Well, there's just been more like non finishes, full stop. They've, they've done a few too many non finishes. It doesn't feel like the transgression where they didn't do a DQ yeah. outside of one fall and a two out of three falls for like two years? Nonsense, specifically nonsensical, staggered musical run ins. Stuff like that. Yeah, like the um, invisible camera, I guess, with Colin they and are, JF. They are basically yeah. doing an invisible camera with a nod and a wink. Yeah. So there's lots of it. There's. It's another example. They've done, yeah, like the post-produced skits. Mm-hmm. Like, who's doing the music for those MGF Cole things? <laughs> it's, it's a few, the old... Well, it's, it's okay because it's Cole, because it's Kyle O'Reilly. Yes. It's got, it's got, oh, a, friend, okay, it's got okay. a friend in the truck. Of course. <laughs> so there's been a few too many, oh, you're breaking, so, you're bending the rules or the fabric. You're yeah. warping the fabric of that sports-based presentation, basically. It's happened at the same time as the old don't, do what WWE does rule yes. and thrown out anyway mm-hmm. because so many of the things that WWE did was because of like Vince's yeah. weird whims. And Triple H is the same guy. And because and, and the Fed got so goaded, uh. like all of a sudden the par that was established wasn't because AEW was getting worse but because WWE was getting better. And it's like, oh, AEW doing those WWE things. But for the most part, people are pretty tolerant of that on the... On the side, And then less so on Dynamite. So the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that there's just enough of that old vision and spirit yeah. and energy left where a match getting thrown out feels like not just some bollocks WWE thing. That yeah. they always do, and you're just numb to it. Felt a little bit transgressive. Mm-hmm. In this, I thought it was clever. It was a total shortcut. This remains very slapdash, but I thought it was a, a cute shortcut to make it to fake the fact that these like people hate each other. I think they might rematch this combo on next week's Dynamite. Because if you think about, regardless of what happens in the matches at All In, and this is a problem fundamentally, but regardless of how the results go, even if the Young Bucks say win the belts, uh, yes, hoping <laughs> there's someone I just need. If that happens, yeah, I'm going to go on a certain someone's Twitter page. Let's just say that, <laughs> and uh, Takeshita pins Kenny, for example, that doesn't make a proper rematch because we couldn't do the match last week on Dynamite of the Bullet Club Gold having one last shot of the Elite on yeah. next week's show as a go home match again for All Out. They could do that, couldn't they? Like, Tony Khan yeah. could try and preserve the rules of his universe and say, look, like, I'm raging that didn't go ahead. That's one of my fixtures that I've lost. We're, we're running it back. Yeah. They could do that again. Do that. One more thing as well, like, this, I have to resent the fact that this match is happening because, and I just was in admiration that Kenny Omega got me on the hook for it. When he infamously said that 80% of the people shouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> I think... All of them have, most of them have earned the spot, but there's not enough spots, if that makes sense. Mm. And Kenny Omega is, 100%, is better than 100% of them. <laughs> so I still resent the fact that he's doing a trios match. Not just a trios match. He can build a great trios match. This slapdash one. And God damn it, Kenny, you got me on the hook for this. Oh, man. You know what I would love? If, like, say if the Elite had just left, they didn't bother with these new contracts, and they just kind of had a bit of a rogue in You can't manifest us anymore, mate. No, no, no I've, signed I, it. I've, given over the, I've given up on the Fed dream. But, like, say we were doing, like, a rogue indie run, and then, like, Kenny Omega sat down with Sean Oliver, and he, like, got busted off one of the old games. Name the 20%. Like, I'd love to know, man by man, woman by woman, who Kenny Omega thinks was actually the 20% of the people that should be there. Yeah. Like, who are the people? That, like, Danielson, like, through gritted teeth. Punker, yeah, like they're like the, what, like MJF, whatever. Like, who's this twenty percent? I'd love to know that. And Kenny Omega's brilliant wrestling mind, like on those old Art of Wrestling podcasts, and how he just thinks about wrestling. Yeah. 
Like who's the ones that you thought almost everybody you work with is a loser s- to you? Who are the sacred cows? That yeah, there's a few. Like it's one of those where I remember when Juice Robinson came in. I'm thinking him. Yeah, like, he was good. And he was great in 2019, but he's he's declined in quality and you know presence and relevance and. He comes in and he's awesome. And that's a problem. Too many. That's a problem with AEW fundamentally is that it's, it's too good for its own good. Yeah. We've got too many great guys. Like that's, that's fundamentally my criticism as well. Juice was always an over with the boys guy and it was so nice to see him finally transfer that onto a weekly that's the TV thing, that show. That was fantastic, it? Valley. He was so charismatic. Yeah. He's just taken part in what a lot of people, not me, think is the best TV match ever. And you think, well, you understand Tony Khan's POV. Yeah. You want to sign these guys because they're so talented and they're capable of so much. I'd love to know what Kenny would think of. Yeah, they shouldn't have signed him. Yeah, but you got over Kenny, and he did. Re- I, no, he's, he's in the eighty percent. I'm elite. Kenny were bringing the edger in. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on Sex and Hardcastle? Like, I'd, I'd love to know like who the twenty are. I'd so love that, to see that match. So, you, well, yeah. So you could infer like the uh, what he thinks of these eighty yeah. percent. That's a lot of a lot of slaughtered sacred cows. Loads yeah. of them. Loads. Um, so we go backstage. Um, Renee Paquette. Before I. Forget to say this. I'll probably end up saying it ten times. It was uh, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. She was all over the show, and she was the glue, the fabric. She was wonderful. Her presence on this show and her performance on this show added immensely like to my enjoyment of it and the craft of it. She's One of the best so signings they've made. Oh, yeah, she's so goddamn great. Yeah. So AW's been accused, rightfully, in my opinion, not to you know go over it yet again, of failing to capture the grandeur. The importance of all in in a Wembley Stadium. So, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you convey that you're excited about appearing at Wembley Stadium? You say you've got a load of blood in your hard cock, which is what MJF <laughs> did. And I think he might have replaced my favorite ever um, synonym for erection. Well, well what's yours? Ah, oh, uh. Like Stiffy's Stiffy. really, really funny in it. Stiffy's funny. Stiffy's funny. It's so funny compared to what it is. Oh, I've got a Stiffy. Yeah. I also like yeah, the Americans with a hard on. I've <laughs> got a hard on. A rock on. A rager. I've got a <laughs> rager. I don't like Boner very much. No. Do like Boner? I think if Andy Bernard gives saying me the... Boner champ. <laughs> Boner gives me the ick. Stiffy's funny. Um, <laughs> And MGF says, well, you know. I'm going to be in the uh, main event in London, 80,000 people. I'm going to be all chubbed up. (laughs) (laughs) All chubbed up, and his tights are going to be tight. He's made that up, right? That's his. I've never heard of it. Feels like it's got to be his, yeah. It feels like, you know, when you're like having an absolute, you know, banter session with the lads, and you're trying to pop your mates with like new crack. Yeah. And you just say something, and it just sticks, and it's amazing. It wouldn't surprise me if he was like, I was with his. Broad, and you know, I was, you know, guys, I was all chubbed up, and he saying it just to get a pop, and I would a huge pop. This is how it happens. Like little cultural moments suddenly becomes normalised. You ever seen the Goldbergs? No. Bang, average eighties nostalgia throwback sitcom. Never great, truthfully, but like kind of warm. Watch with your dinner if you want the wallpaper to move. The Goldbergs will do. There was a. It's set in the eighties, and one of the characters said the phrase "going commando." I'm like, nah, friends invented that in the mid nineties. Friends just. In a writer's room, somebody said, you got anything funny for, like, not wearing your, under- your underwear? Going commando. Perfect. They're friends. Yeah. That was Joey going commando. And, like, that's, you know, sort of, like, obviously in another man. Because he says going commando in another man's fatigues. 
So they, that's what they use in the semantic field ah. of like service work. So I, uh, it was said in an 80s show. Also, that was an anachronism. Yeah. Adam I Go- like that word. Adam Goldberg, uh, like the, the, he's a wrestling fan, so there's occasional reference to Hulk Hogan. You can see Hasbro's and LGNs in the background. Nice touch. But then there's one point where a character says, only two ways we can solve this dispute. Cage match or elimination chamber. Needless, in the 80s? I seethe, Sige. I absolutely seethe. My wife didn't even care. And I was like, stop this. We're putting the network on. Survivor Series 2002. Eric Bischoff invented that. Raging. So what are we talking about? We'll cover the two, <laughs> we'll cover the two interviews. Yeah. So across the show, separately, Renee Paquette sits down with MJF and Adam Cole. It's great bit. Like, and it, like she looks like a reporter. Yeah. And it's great. And has she set them up a bit? Maybe. She put the tapes together. There's, there's a TV in the background. She goes, have a look at this. And in both segments, she shows MGF the moments where he looks a little bit dubious of Cole and ready to strike and betray him. And then she does the same thing where Cole looks suspicious and ready to betray MGF. And the contrasting reactions here. Oh, my God. Just the mystery lingers. Yeah. And there's who's going to turn on who. I have got no idea. And what an achievement this is. I think it's going to be MGF. If you apply Occam's razor, MGF is... The devil. Mm-hmm. He is a snake old man. He's tell, told you this a million times. How does he convince you every single time? This has been a masterwork, in my opinion. So when MJF is shown all those times when he's looking at Cole and he just knows that he's going to turn on him and he's going to do it first in all these games that they've played. And Rene says, what do you think of this? And MJF collects his thoughts for a moment and goes, yeah, I'm new to this friendship stuff. And he can, he didn't say these words, but you can infer that he's got that rejection sensitivity disorder. And you th- can you can think that in these moments, he's so afraid of being rejected that he's like going to be defensive and just l- lash out. Yeah. And then he stops himself because he's trying to, you know, get ahead of his, he's trying to rewire his brain. So when he says, oh, it's just new to me, he doesn't deny it. Mm. He doesn't insult your intelligence. He owns up to it and all but says, yeah, but I've really tried to hold myself back. When, can he do that because he's a sociopath and is that why he's going to turn? And then when Cole is questioned, he just hates it, lashes out, microphone out the shirt, interview's over. Is he going to turn because he's protesting too much? Yeah. I've still got no idea. Did you see last week as well? Did you see Cole? It's just to add to the, you know, the backstab. Law, did you see Cole using Austin's line? Yes, like so. They're they're laying it on AW giving you it now, and it's in that way where you've basically got to decide as a fan whether or not it's a double bluff or a triple bluff, yes, which you think is so clever. And uh, just on a sort of on a fundamental booking level, I'm particularly impressed because I remember when Wembley got announced, and this happened with Forbidden Door 2, and it's unfair, and people should pay a lot more respect to MJF than they do. But a lot of the conversation revolved around, come on, AEW, two big shows like this, and nobody's fantasy booking anything for the champion. Well, now here we are, right? We're on the doorstep of Wembley Stadium, and they've made not only the result of the title match unpredictable, but the circumstances within which it takes place impossible to call definitively. You might be 99% certain it's MJF, but you can't allow yourself to go to 100. Yeah. And that's always the magic in wrestling anyway. That's the percentage you want. That's I'm the, totally 50-50, that's, me. That, will, like, that level of doubt, even on this match, is incredible to me. But the fact that they've applied that to the 
kickoff tag match. I can't call that. I, I cannot call that to get us to that. Yeah. And I, I'm like... I'm in admiration of yeah, all of this. Yeah, I'm wow. This is PKW. This is... Uh, I simply cannot entertain the idea that the comedic vignettes or the... Um, well, they've already wrestled once and now they've got to be forced tag team partners. Like... I can't entertain the idea that that isn't world title worthy because all of this is what this is a world title worthy story. This is what we talk about when we talk about storylines in pro wrestling. And, and times as well, we've said, oh, AEW's got a great, well built world title match on pay per view. I know who's going to win. Yeah. And like, this is not that. This is not that at all. Like, remember, like, pick it, you know, you'll say February 2020, I'll say summer 2021, but there'll be other people with other views on AEW's fairly rich history on the times when you would say... Very, very rich history. I'm getting defensive about it. AEW has fixed this. AEW has fixed that. And, like, sometimes it's a little bit sarcastic, but, well, AEW have just fixed tag team partners that can't coexist because they couldn't, and then they did, and now they kind of can't again, and they've turned it into a headliner on the biggest wrestling show of all time. Yeah. They've taken yet another trope and found a way to make it work. MJF, no less, has done it in this reign of terror where he picks on all the things that Triple H almost killed the business with between 2003 and five, and has some fun with them. He's, he's doing it again. One I more thing it. before we move on to the first match proper is that if, am I, it's like head and heart, if my head proves true and MGF does turn, like I cannot put the man over enough for how he's operated in character across several different platforms over the past two months. If you noticed, he's pretty much full babyface on Twitter. Yeah. He's saying that it's no tribalist. I want everyone in WWE to do well. Um, just being, like, really nice to people. Um, he's done loads of press interviews where it's just a smiling face of AEW. It's going to register as a big shock if he turns heel again. Like, he has made this babyface turn, if it's a ruse or not, like, just so believable and organic. Yeah. Like, the, man's a, the man is a pro wrestling genius. I got a dumbass... Out there prediction for the finish um, of All In that relates to this point about MJF turning yet again. Could uh, supposedly, and like, I hope he's not, and I hope this is part of a gimmick and not something that he's genuinely suffering with, could at home, really depressed with his life, Wardlow do a run-in and without like, with it appearing as if MJF hasn't asked for it, and just batters Adam Cole and leaves, and that's how MJF wins. And we don't know if MJF has, he's has made the phone call or Wardlow's doing it because he's... I'm gonna to have to go back to this guy and like conspicuous by his absence. Yeah, like the the disappearance and everything. Like I've got the, a coffee bet on that. I don't know because I wouldn't mind seeing it and with my coffee bet record. This is true, <laughs> abysmal one. One more thing, and I should mention Adam Cole pointed this out as well, which I think really really helps this whole web. In that Cole said, like away from you know MJF and the Brachacho and the bonding stuff, like I had no confidence when I came back, and he's made me realize, like, the best version of myself. Brilliant. That's great because it gives you a genuine reason why Adam Cole would fall for the ploy of the man who is a living ploy mm. in MJF. And two, like, it's true. Like, MJF has, in part, Cole's done a lot of this himself, obviously, but this is top guy stuff from MJF. He's taken a really cold challenger yeah. and made him, like, the, one of the biggest stars in the company. And it really started to feel for a while that Adam Cole was just not going to click there. Yeah. People were willing him on as well. And it just didn't really happen. And now it's happened. Well, and three made me realize who I really am. Like, how many different Adam Coles could you revisit to, yeah. say, like, you, well, the Undisputed Era one? He's that guy. He's going to team up with Roderick Strong and they're going to cheat and they're yeah. going to get the gold. Like, that's... This just whole thing much. has just been so well plotted. Like, just the stabbing in the back and then them 
making that canon as yeah. a thing that everyone's aware of. It's a rematch. I know. It's a rematch. Like, it's... I, I'm mesmerised by all of this. Like, it's... This is AEW's best story of the year. I, I can't even think of anything that oh, runs by, it close. by some distance. Yeah. By some distance, this is the best story of the year. Like, I loved the Mox... Uh, the Max Danielson feud. I was really let down by the VCC elite thing for reasons I've, again, talked about extensively. This is head and shoulders above everything else yeah. they've done this year. Um, in the next match come segment, Moxley defeats Ray Phoenix, as expected, with the news that Phoenix is going to miss um, all in because he can't enter the UK. Um, I thought this was mat- I thought this match was great, and I thought John Moxley's performance in it particularly was great. And it was a really smaller scale version of the Utah match in his performance in it, where Moxley is usually such a brash, unkillable badass. When he shows a hint of fear and vulnerability, one, it's enormously effective because he just never does it, mm. hardly. And when he was, like, dodging in almost palpable fear Phoenix's offense, yeah. I thought that did so much to the tenor and the drama of the match and his opponent. And the big goal here was they needed to position Phoenix as a threat and have Mox beat him at the same time to justify the fact that they need to kill him with a crowbar to write him out of the match. Mm. So in order to justify that write-off, they had to present Phoenix incredibly strongly. And I thought Mox's individual performance, obviously Phoenix is always great and they work magic together, but I just thought this was really smartly structured. And we talk a lot about earning your high spots and not just doing it for the sake of it. That avalanche death rider. Oh, my God. I thought... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I thought he broke his neck, by the way. Yeah. It looked horrible slash awesome. Um... I thought that was such a clever way of going, right, well, we kind of need to <laughs> kill this guy with the crowbar because if he's on this form on Sunday, we are going to lose. He's the problem. He's the difference maker. Let's kill him with the crowbar. So your thoughts on the match before we go into the post-match? Was it Darby Allen who did that too, early days? The Avalanche Death Rider. Yeah. I think it was so brutally got injured. Yeah, it was just like his super special that you shouldn't really use. Yeah. Um, I wasn't as high on the content of the match, but... It's, again, like, by leaps and bounds, the most I felt for this rivalry. Like, I was, I felt like I was basically building a case for the BCC being actually bad because I was watching yet another feud that just didn't feel like it was clicking or... Tony Khan's spreadsheet book has become a meme, but it's not untrue at all. And this felt like the epitome of that. What's the, like, the opposite of the sum of its parts thing? That was going to be a permanent problem that would plague the BCC. Didn't matter who you put in the group. They could be the greatest in the world in the case of Danielson um, and, Mo- and Moxley, but nothing felt like it would ever hit as much as it would in your imagination. So I didn't get a lot from the match, but I got a lot from that for the first time. And at the most important time, I started to f- believe in something with the BCC, with John Moxley. We're going to talk about what the detail that was one of my favourite things from this year that they picked back up with uh, Kingston afterwards. Um, so I think I liked it more as a whole, including the post-match than I did the individual match because the flashes I got from Phoenix was just a reminder that I think it would have been quite fun. Like, you know, it's fun. It would have been awesome. Well, they, but when I say quite fun, what I mean by that is like all the people that have been bollocking us for not getting excited about the card. Like, oh yeah, he would have done something fun. I wasn't like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. I can't wait for Phoenix to win. But it was just like, Phoenix would have done something fun. Like, and I was getting shown how that was going to be taken from me, but it was a difficult balance to strike. And I don't hold him against having to give him a big night in order to make him, as you say, feel like a storyline threat. You've got, you've got to do, do that. This. I yeah. thought it was really, really clever. And that's a kind of craft and thought yeah. that AEW really puts into it when they, when they are operating at peak mode. And I thought that was 
the case here. So he kicks out the Avalanche Death Rider. It looks sick as hell. He eventually succumbs, passing out in the Bulldog Choke, after which they take him out with the crowbar. Um, Kingston and Penta come down to make the save. Stopped by Ortiz mm. with the Mad Ball, is it? Yeah. Um, so he does that. And then, it's a bit weird, this. A returning Santana. Now, I was conflicted on this. I think it's a great direction. It's weird how they've picked up the Eddie Kingston and Ortiz fallout because that was the weirdest thing ever. That Remember the, the House of Black were causing a rift oh, between yeah. them? So that's actually been picked up. It's in like um, tagging with Ruby Soho and tagging with Jinoku trousers to try and get revenge on a Kingston's behalf during the JAS stuff as well. Yeah. It all went really badly for <laughs> yeah, Ortiz at the end. And the House of Black caused a rift between Kingston and Ortiz, and then Kingston went to ROH because of this. Yeah, he's like, what's going on with Kingston's mental health? He's got quite a big beard. Yeah. Dropped. Dropped, and then he's got an ROH, which is, um, I need to get away from this Tony Khan-owned business. <laughs> I'm going to go to Ring of Honor, which is owned by Tony Khan. It was all very weird, but they picked it back up, and to their credit, I guess. What's weird, though, is that there's been heavy rumors of a Santana and Ortiz fallout. Mm. Now, the weird thing is here, this is a babyface reunion. You kind of expect them to hug and, oh, we're back, and the fans love us, and all the rest of yeah. it. So maybe this is a misread on my part. And I've got no idea about the interpersonal relationship between Santana and Ortiz at this point, whether they've reconciled or what. But the fact that they were heels here, so they had to do the mean faces, they did not look like a tag team who just reunited and were happy to be alongside each other. Is that no. just me? No, or no. Or the playing heels? Like I couldn't get a read on it. Both. But I thought exactly that too, that feeling of, oh, well, they're not mates. Yeah. But you'd be mad not to be a professional and grin and bear it for this specific payday. Yeah. Like 80,000 people in a, a huge show like Wembley. Headcanon, this completely, and I acknowledge this, but uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, low-key manipulative bastards. So you could well, especially Claudio in this case, you could well imagine them like getting together. Who, who are we going to get for this? And then Claudio's like, I hate Eddie Kingston, and I've got the perfect idea, John. Mox is like, I love it. Give him a call. And putting this together, I can buy this happening behind the scenes, and I think that's crucial to this making sense. Along those lines... Obviously, there's no sixth guy. We should mention. Oh yeah, that just dropped. Yeah, with five Phoenix on five. not being there, they're going to do a five on five instead of the rumored, well, advertised. Yeah. six versus six. Along those lines, I realized this morning it'll probably get reported to the contrary because I've not read anything about who the sixth person was meant to be. What if it was homicide? I mean, yeah. the idea of Mox getting a homicide in Kingston, apoplectic, yeah. treating it as the ultimate. You know what he means to me. That could have been an option. Chris Hero. It's all irrelevant. So anyway, um, Phoenix is stretched out. Um, we rush backstage. This is actually treated like it's like it matters for once on Dynamite. Um, and then Renee Paquette runs backstage. Roving reporter on the scene. Tries to get away with Kingston. Felt horrible here. He knocks yeah. a microphone out of her hand. Like, oh, don't. That's not nice. You're both coming from places that I can understand. But immediately remind you why. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, you can take this well, forward. It's not, it's, he's just finding his bad behavior here is what he's doing. Because he's, like, she looks agreed that this has happened. The last person that knocked the microphone out of uh, her hand was MJF, wasn't it? And it was like a sharp intake of breath when he did that. Yeah. <gasps> you can't, you can't do that. Yeah, not too like, Yeah. That's the thing, they can't do it too much more. And then Kingston made the point. Oh, like, it was a very John Moxley. I'm sorry, is that not how this is supposed to go? Yeah. I'm fixing it, Renee. You told me to fix it. I'll fix it. Why is he on this stretcher? 
your husband. That's why. So I'm f- and she is a little bit left going, oh, yeah, that's why you're not going to microphone out of my hand. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing to be able to, like, wrestling, I include WWE and AEW, has always struggled to circle the square as it relates to John Moxley and Renee Paquette as husband and wife. Remember the commentary when he was when he turned heel on Seth? Oh. Like, Corey Graves. What's he saying at home, Renee? I don't know, Corey, because this doesn't and he make, wants to leave. This doesn't make any narrative sense. He keeps saying every single night, Corey, that he wants to leave. Funnily enough, this when we have company dinner, he doesn't bring up the gas mask, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> like this was, this was an example of them nailing. Any it. minute now, by the way, Corey Greaves is going to go full Bobby Heenan. He said on Twitter, <laughs> that, he said on Twitter that he can't to Becky Lynch in 2018. Yeah, he can't go full Bobby Heenan with the old man in his ear, but he's not in his ear anymore, Corey. So why can't you be as funny as Bobby Heenan? I thought you I thought you were capable of it. Rumours of him training for new room returns so we can go full Terry Funk. Looking forward to it. Uh, anyway, forget Corey Grace. This was good. Uh, right there. This is excellent. And Eddie Kingston with one swift physical emotion added elusive and vitally important emotion to Tony Khan's spreadsheet booking. Quick bitch about All In. This is fantastic. All in should have been John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. This is what we talk about. I think they're saving it for Arthur Ashe. Saving stuff. Cool. He's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Spend it. This could do some more. Like, yeah, he beats John Moxley, doesn't he? Because for the, what's this, third year in a row, we've all gone, well, yep, this is the year Kingston wins the belt at Grand Slam. This and Tony is the Eddie says, Kingston gets a massive thing at Grand Slam. Yeah, maybe. But that's, Slam. that's the big match. That's the culmination. That's the decider that we all craved on this card, and we're going to get it somewhere else, but that's what we're talking about because that feels... Like, if they even interact physically towards the end of Stadium Stampede or whatever it is, however that looks, that's going to be captivating. Yeah. We go backstage to a pre-recorded one because Renee Paquette's in a completely different <laughs> area of the building. Um, so Alex Marvet's sick. <laughs> it just sucks. Yeah, <laughs> just sick. <laughs> um, Can you not get any scoops, <laughs> She's talking about Sammy Guevara, Jericho, and you know, 2.0 coming in. I don't care about any of this, so I'm just going to let right past it. Okay? Uh, uh, not are they not, not trying to like create a bit of um, drama here with like what we've been kind of calling for all this time, which is Jericho dropping back and doing a proper tag run? Sammy sticking with him is the one element of this JS thing I've quite enjoyed because uh, there's something real there. Like somebody tweeted, "Yes, the JAS are not real. It's a parody act." Yeah, that Sammy is re- always one-dimensional parody. But I'm with you here. Sammy and Jericho are real. There's somebody retweeted that. Just phenomenal. It's one of my favorite early AW moments when I wasn't even as high as you on the product. The Cody parody video. Oh my god! It's right at the start. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools. Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This yeah. is sad. Sammy's holding the identical bottles of bubbly because it's the brandy wine bit. Yeah. And Cody's so locked into the match. He's like, sure. But then gives her a kiss to let her know that he is. He's listening, but he's just so focused. And Jericho kisses Sammy in the cheek and goes, sure. And just slaps him on the chair. Like, I love that. That was. I love the brawls. I love Double or Nothing. I loved All Out 2019. That might have been the moment where I thought this is something beyond special to me. Chris Jericho is the youngest AEW world champion of all time. Right there. <laughs> and I don't know what a goat is, <laughs> but I know that Chris Jericho is the greatest of all time. So. And I, it feels real between those two in a way that it never did with the JS and only half does with Hager. Because like, he's such a clown. Like with Guevara, I feel something. And the fact yeah. that they've managed to just keep that thread dangling, I think is I think is interesting. I feel like Callus will go for him, and that'll hurt. Yeah. Callus goes for Sammy Guevara, gets under his skin, that's going to sting. So I, I don't mind that. Oh, that friggin' parody video. I remember watching that and thinking, it's perfect. <laughs> I've wanted this level of thought <laughs> for years, and it's here, and it's, and it's perfect. Probably, uh, you know, Cody's going to get there. He's going to have a load of meetings. I'm just going to get there, probably drink a little bit of the bubbly, <laughs> and then go out after <laughs> I just drops the voice in, out. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so the next thing that happens on this show is the contract signing between uh, Jericho and Osprey. Mm. I liked this a lot. Had problems with it, but liked it more than I didn't like it, and yet I can completely see why some people hated this. Does that make any sense? It does, but I didn't know... I didn't know people hated it. I, th- I didn't like it very much back in... I didn't know any... I, I just saw unanimous praise for this. I just think people, understandably, don't like Will Ospreay. Yeah. Despite that, how unbelievably talented he is and his bro stuff. I'm sick of this same... I feel like he's overrated as a promo, Ospreay, you know? Like, I feel like I've heard... He's him, very polarizing. I've heard him cut this promo since he was, like, 19. When he's going to grow up? Right. Pe- people need to realize what I am in this business. Oh, you've been telling me for years and you've been showing me plenty. I don't even like it and you've been showing me plenty. Yeah. Is he going to be like 48 and being like, yeah, I'm not just some flippy kid, you know. I'm the best in this business. Like, I'm, I'm sick of it, mate, bruv. Like, just talk yourself up as a now rather than a people need to realize. Well, the thing is, he himself realized where he was about, I want to say, two years ago when he's doing his Conor McGregor shtick. <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing... These really outlandish, garish suits. And he never says, I'm rich, nah. <laughs> I'm rich, nah. But he's basically playing the big shot. Yes. Yeah. United Empire, he's got the stale, he's a main eventer, he's a heavyweight. He's got these garish, expensive suits that, you know, they're tacky. And he's not a man of taste, but he's a man of wealth now. Yes. So now he's wearing, like, you know, joggers and talking about how he needs to work indie dates to f- provide for his four-year-old stepson and give him a better life when he's the heel in Wembley. It's all over the place. He's got to pay for school. 
That is free. At four. And we have Osprey so thick <laughs> that he's just been sending the school some checks. Yes. And they've just been, okay, thanks, I'll cash them. It's just someone on the take. It's like the, the head teacher's tweeted, uh, I've, met, like, I've met some dumb parents and I know Osprey. Yeah. <laughs> so that's weird. That was very weird. So he's basically playing this humble, hard work, and I'll batter my body to give my four-year-old steps in a better life. Despite the fact that he played a rich Conor McGregor guy two years ago, he's probably only earned more money since then, and he's the heel in front of his home crowd. It continues to be a little bit all over the place, and I didn't... I thought Osprey... The thing about Osprey, right? People think Jericho Osprey. Like, no one sees... Well, no one I know or follow sees this as the big, like... Omega Osprey, Punk Omega Tier Dream Match. They yeah. just don't. At least the people I follow. Omega, uh, sorry, Osprey idolizes Jericho. Hmm. He, honestly, if you follow up, if you if you crops up on your for you tab on Twitter, <laughs> or if you've seen it on Squared Circle, he, he, he adores Jericho. Checks out. Thinks of him yeah. as the, he's like a massive influence. Thinks of him as the gold. I really wish he'd went there mm. rather than this weird route that they did. Jericho, for his part was magnificent here. Asked and answered all my complaints yeah. about wrestlers that don't care about this goddamn show. Yeah. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Um, he basically, if you hadn't watched the show, says that I am at the top of the mountain. Never forget that. He is so defiant. He calls the online doubters dip shit. With so much conviction that I immediately thought, oh, you've got to lay out in a template for this. And this match is going to be awesome. Mm. And he's going to prove you wrong all over again. I got that from Jericho, and I needed it. But he also says, I'm at the top of this mountain, Osprey. You're probably best equipped to knock me off it, but I'm not climbing down. So he's put over his opponent, how good his opponent is, how much of a threat his opponent is, and he's magicked up stakes for this match that, for me, just did not exist. Mm -hmm. All in one promo where he's on fire. And again, I talk about features and not bugs. He stumbles over his words, but I feel like he's so full of piss and vinegar and defiance and I need to beat you, Osprey, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That I don't mind that he stumbles because it just feels real to him, damn it. And then do the pull apart. I should mention as well, Callus is so good. He says to Osprey, you almost died the last time you were in London, Chris. Last time you were in England. And Will's going to finish the job. Yeah, it's quite nice, isn't it? Um, I look forward to uh, Jericho finding a weather spoon to take a picture outside of for his yeah. Instagram, <laughs> opposite a hospital. Uh, uh, Jericho. The banks in London are cheap. <laughs> They're, not They're not, Chris. You've got to walk five metres. <laughs> um, uh, Jericho was in fantastic form here. This made me think of your criticism of WWE with five weeks to go for a, before a premium live event, establishing a premise and then knowing if they even can be asked, they'll just repeat that premise for five more weeks for the remaining four. Yeah, so plotting. Tell a story. No, just there's a premise. I want to fight you, and here's why. The Callis Jericho diversion was made so pointless and futile by this yeah. segment because Jericho, the babyface, with all of his babyface rationale and a bit of like assuredness and cockiness, but only an in-character amount, telling Osprey why you're not him, not yet, and Osprey saying, yeah, I am, and here's why. They could have done this four or five weeks ago, and we could have had four or five weeks to hopefully see a bit more development and get really hyped for this match. Yeah. The premise has been established on the go home instead of a month ago, and the 
Callis family diversion thing feels so pointless. It was, like, it was he recruited someone he didn't think he was going to get. Yeah. So in Don in kayfabe, Don Callis only thinks this match has come about this last week. Yeah. And he's like the invisible hand that's supposed to be above this puppeteer in all of this for his own selfish gains. Stumbled like, arse backwards into this one. Wasted my time <laughs> for so much of this feud. And they've kind of like they've done the premise bit, yeah. but at the exact right time to do it. And again, because I'm very fair, I need to put over Jericho. How often do people use real life mm. and it's just so lame and forced? And you can maybe say that about the books FTR thing later, but I loved it, so I'm not going to. Jericho's got such a knack of folding in real stuff without the dreaded work shooter element. Yeah. He really did ring up Osprey mm-hmm. and say, take it from someone who respects you and knows better. You need to tone it down. You need to tone it down. And he did do that, and then he told you on last night's Dynamite that he did that, just to add some real heft to all of this. Yeah. It's just really clever. I, I just, and thick at the same time. Uh, one last note on this as well. I love where, um, especially now that Wembley's going to happen, and Wembley will have existed as of Sunday, I love where um, WrestleMania can sit in the law of AEW. I love that Chris Jericho can say without saying, sorry, Osprey, mate, you're not on the WrestleMania level. Yeah. Tokyo Dome to, uh, to us Canadian slash Manhattan, Manhasset New Yorkers. It's not WrestleMania, mate. Yeah. And like Brian Danielson can say, I'm on page is taking like a month off. I defended my title the night after I won it at WrestleMania. And then the punker can be like, like, go and sign if you think WrestleMania is such a big, because he resents it because yeah. he didn't get it. If you think it's such a big deal, go and get your buy one, get get six free, work two nights. Extravaganza. Yeah. Say. Like, it's, I love that how different characters can tweak what WrestleMania is within the universe of AEW because never has anyone been allowed to talk about it other than in the, it's WrestleMania. There is yeah. simply nothing like WrestleMania. And I love how different characters can use that. And, because this is a different wrestling show, and we're about to have a stadium that, by the way, is bigger. Yeah. So, like, the old adage of, like, well, there's only one place you can wrestle on that biggest stage. That's not going to be true after Sunday. So I love how that can now be kind of used and manipulated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the next thing on the show, as we've covered, was the Rene Paquette sit-down with Adam Cole, following which, um, Paquette, again, is with Roderick Strong in the kingdom, and I thought this was absolutely perfect because it's kept so short. They do not show their hand at all. Roderick Strong simply says, we're going to find out who the man MGF is and the man who Adam Cole is on Sunday. They do not tell you a single thing about what they're... They're going to do something, yeah. but they keep it so ambiguous. What's going on, man? Like, Strong's got such skin in the game in this main event. The Kingdom. It's weird, that. It's not weird, but it's just like, he only turned up, was it last year? Or this year? This, this year, yeah. He had that blind with Jericho, and then we've pretty much gone straight into this, like, comedy stuff. But he's been such a vital part of this whole story. The Kingdom... What belts are the Kingdom going to really want? The Ring of Honor tag titles and they're part of the pre-show. This is... I find this absolutely electric. I get goosebumps thinking about what I don't know and what I want to see. Yeah. It's brilliant. I've got absolutely neat idea. Next, we get something that is weird and wonderful, I guess. It's Darby Allen and Nick Wayne versus <laughs> Swerve Strickland and AR Fox. The match is almost incidental to an absolutely monumentally weird, but also good, I guess, <laughs> post-match. I've got no idea where to start with this. The basic gist is that it's a Texas Tornado match. There's no plunder. Rare bit of restraint, I think, from AEW, considering they've got Stadium Stampede. And they they do, for me, lean too heavily on plunder. Probably not the match to discuss restraint, though, based on what followed in the angle. The AR Fox in the blood-soaked shirt. Yes, but I'm talking about... Oh, like... Stepping on your own dick and doing plunder yeah. spots, and you're not preserving the idea of proper violence yes. that you have to pay for at Stadium Stampede. That's what I meant. Um, this is weird. 
because there's no weapons. It's not really a brawl because they're not like brawlers. Mm. They're guys who are not limited to, but are really great at high spots. And yet the high spots were orchestrated with such a sense of danger and commitment that it felt spectacular and violent with that one thing compromising the other. Nick Wayne's cut looked so good. Yeah. Like, oh, a few more of them. Like, a bit of face flesh rather than the razor blade across the forehead. Yeah. yeah. Like, they put the attack and aerial attacks, and it yeah. made this match. Um, and then the key bit is that Darby Allen gets taken out, and then it's essentially, in the last two or three minutes, a handicap match um, between Wayne and Strickland and Fox, and they can't kill him. They just can't kill him. Um, there's loads of convincing near falls, but he keeps getting back up, and eventually, and I like... It's good when AEW do it. <laughs> Nick Wayne kind of steals one. Yeah. He just gets this opportunity to win, and he pins AR Fox. And I'm like, are you joking? Obviously, Sting wins the party match. Mm. You not pretend that he's not going to, and that the heels are good. And then something weird happens. <laughs> so Swerve does the big anime villain laugh, and he says, oh, that's disappointing. If you, AR Fox, if you cannot beat a teenager, what have I aligned with you for? And then he kicks his ass and kicks him out of the Mughal Embassy and off the all-in card. He says, you're not my partner anymore. As it transpires, rumors are circulating that AR Fox can't enter England. Yep. That is the second LOL WCW moment in a week <laughs> for AEW. Like, yeah. Do you admin? Yeah. Left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Am I allowed to say that? This, Am I allowed to say that there's organizational incompetence rife within this company. So you've got AR Fox and Phoenix who are booked on the all-in show and you don't know that they can't do it. TNA used to get pelters for when like they couldn't like get the Canadians into the impact zone in Florida and they'd suddenly like three Canadian wrestlers were off a pay-per-view at last minute. Yeah. I, I think admin in a billion-dollar company, which is about to become one, I think that's a reasonable request as a fan to get the advertised wrestlers into the country where they're going to be wrestling. So you can't do that, nor can you establish why people like Keith Lee, I don't need you for Rampage, I'm already gone home. What? How does this happen? And then you've got people going to collision and then being told, oh no, you can't come in. Mm. What? Like it's, 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 it's farcical. Like, I understand. There'll be stories told in years to come about yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. I understand that people want to be positive about all in, particularly if they've got a ticket. I can understand because it's subjective, very subjective. And maybe we don't do a good enough job of telling people that it's subjective and maybe your opinion's as valid as ours and all the rest of mm -hmm. it. Um, so I can understand why people recently have said, oh, you've, got, you've gone too hard on AEW. It is subjective and people can argue that point till they're blue in the face because there's no objective truth. Objective incompetence is rife within this company. Am I allowed to say that? Well, it's too negative. It's a fact. I said it and I got told off by Don Callis, so maybe not. Like, the, you never books, what do you know? Like, it's, I agree. Competence is the word. There feels like a lack of competence. What's going on? This segment, like, uh, is it an exaggeration to call this, like, Russo-esque? Like, I think that, oh, yeah. that gets thrown yeah. around, but this was Vince Russo-esque. Like, to do this turn here. And so, to, yeah, sorry, actually, carry on. Yeah. Link it all together, sorry for the tangent. So, basically, gets kicked out of the Mughal Embassy. And then I can't even remember. I watched it like eight hours ago, how the, it gets arranged. But, so the Mughal Embassy, what happens? So their faces run back out and like, they're going to they're gonna beat Air Fox up even more so. And Darby Allen's there to make the save. Then Sting comes out. I accept your apology, Air Fox. We hug, we're friends again. So Darby and, he's wearing Nick Wayne's 
blood on yeah. body. <laughs> but you did save my life, so I guess it's water under the bridge. I'd take a month at least Let's away. just call it a bad three weeks and draw a line under this. Literal blood feud. So that's extremely odd. But the heels are smiling, Sage, because they've got a plan that was clearly already in action before this match even took place. That's fake as hell. Yeah. So we get all of that, and then we get a standoff where there's Wayne, Allen, and Sting, the three baby faces. AR Fox, the forgiven baby face. Mm. And then you've got four heels on the ramp. Four heels <laughs> on the ramp of Dennis Reynolds of Luchasaurus and Christian Cage who come out. Yeah. They're tangentially related to, well, not directly associated yeah. with Darby and storylines. So you've got those four baby faces, and then you've got, this is so Tony Khan pilled, Christian Cage, Brian Cage, Luchasaurus Swerve. When I say the four and the four... It sounded like you were doing We Didn't Start the Fire there. Yeah, yeah. Christian Cage, Brian Cage, Cage Luchasaurus. Then, <laughs> then you... So I'm thinking, all right, okay. This is weird. Yeah. And the most sudden reconciliation I've ever seen between Fox and Darby because they're doing an eight-man tag coffin match, and that's one of the changes that TK was talking about on the media call on Tuesday. I don't know, by the way. Imagine if that had been the case. Four coffins. Imagine that. Surprise, I'm, I'm, One on each side of the ring. Yeah. Four coffins. And you've got to get all four in before you win. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's, it's not now, obviously. So I'm thinking, right, eight-man tag. As it transpires, they are doing a tag match. Fox has been replaced by Christian Cage of the Mughal Embassy. <laughs> Chris... <laughs> What? Christy Cage, like that delivery of uh, it's been brought to my attention that you have a father who is dead. Right, we should mention that first. So Christian Cage comes out, evil glint in his eye. It's been brought to my attention that you have a father who's died. I've never actually heard of him, so I didn't know this. So that must have mean he wasn't very good. So great. Jesus Christ. And like, thank you for giving us what we want. Christian does the dead dad bit. Yeah. Like, we want that. It's somehow funny and horrible. Yeah. And it's unconscionable. If you're going to go cheap heat, it's one of the, it's the old cliche. If you're going to do something bad, do it well. And they did a magnificent job. Not only is your dad dead, he was a hack. <laughs> Christian Cage, wrestling is so weird. Christian Cage now, if he wanted, could do cameos, like for funerals, I know. for wrestling fans. Can you shoot on my deceased father, please? Yeah. Sure can, $50. Like, 500 for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at with this character at this point. So that's... What draws him out? And obviously, he's already got an issue with Darby, as does Luchasaurus. So I'm thinking, all right, four, four on four, okay, it's a bit weird, especially with Fox and Babyface. And I'm, I'm trying to put my Tony Khan head on it. And then there's just a tag match where Christian Cage is going to team with his long-term friend, Swerve Strickland, <laughs> at Wembley Stadium. All I can think about, and that's the thing, the match was good. The post-match turn was weird. The fact that, Christian Cage is in the match makes sense because he's the biggest star, but that's the ex- and because he's feuding with Darby. But all I could think about was, well, that's a Mogul Embassy finished. If why does St- Swerve Strickland have a stable if he doesn't trust any of them <sighs> to team with him? Now I understand the real answer. The business answer is Christian Cage is the biggest star tangentially related to all of this. You put him on Wembley, but I couldn't think any less of the Mughal Embassy in terms of wrestlers or in terms of how Swerve sees them. They're not a unit. Disastrous and morbidly entertaining and exhilarating. 
all of this was so wacky. Yeah. Cage on the card, I think, myself included, satisfies a lot of people. Just for like a live experience in that way that we've all made compromises of, well, we're getting to see all our favourite wrestlers. Now include Christian Cage in that list. I get a bit pissed off with this, and it's been real life almost every time. Either real life or an acceptance of defeat with some booking, which you can always classify as a noble failure. This swerve thing, what is this like, will this be rotation number five when he brings somebody else new in? Yeah. I, it's That's rubbish. That is rubbish. This character has... And it's not like a... Uh, Steve Austin's on the rise and they, they make him get a tag partner and he's like drags the Brooklyn Brawler out to be his partner because he wants nobody but he's got to have somebody Swerve at least for one week at a time will be like these are my new best friends and I mean it and then they're split up again for just reasons Brian Cage might as well have been trench here yeah and I think it's a bit harsh because like Brian Cage has worked his arse off he's worked his absolute arse off <laughs> to like rehab himself yeah. get over do some really entertaining stuff like he's changed his look like He's never in a million years going to change his ring style. But he's happened upon a formula that works for him, and he's got it over, all over again. And I'm thinking, oh, he might as well be Trench in the eyes of Swerve, mm. who's, oh, oh, Christian Cage, obviously. So yeah. I feel it's like, the thing I loved about AEW, and I hate that it's past tense, is that it used to be total meritocracy. Like, we always talk about Silver versus Orange Cassidy making it to the full gear 2020 main card. Yeah. This guy got so over, I'm putting him on the pay-per-view. That's mm. how it works here. That's the opposite here. Brian Cage has done so well to get himself over again. And now he's just not on the card, even though it, he was the person that makes most sense. And I've been funny. Why wouldn't you have Brian Cage in the match in the first place? Yes, he loses, which is not great, but he's a beast. And like, remember how cool it was that one time, the powerbomb sting? Um, yeah. Oh my God. He was deed. Morgan Embassy, like, it's got a real uh, diamond mine energy to it, doesn't it? He's in it this week. He's been kicked out. Why, why are we still calling this a stable when it's got absolutely no cohesion whatsoever? I know. It's, it's a punchline, and it's, I think it's going to affect Swerve long-term if they're not careful. He keeps coming back. Yeah. keeps getting over again. He's too talented, I think, to hold down. This is just so unbelievably weird. We then get, I love this, schadenfreude element to it as well. If they've worked this, it's magnificent. If they've decided to just tell them have five minutes to build this and see what happens. Then it's very bold and I like it. It's a sit-down interview with Renee Paquette um, sitting backstage with the Young Bucks and FTR. And I can't tell the extent to which this has worked because Dax Harwood gets flustered mm. sometimes. If they've worked him being flustered here, it was magnificent because it just felt really tense and believable. I ain't no interview subject. <laughs> This ain't no Frost and Nixon, you hear? <laughs> Shout out R.I.P. to Michael Parkinson. Ever heard of him? Hell of a chat show host. He loved this business. Well, not this business, but his, his business. His own business is our business. And as long Except- as you respect your business, that's fine by me. What I do. That's what I do. So Ray Packett, again. <laughs> I love her. She's amazing at what she does. And she does it all. Yeah. Sits down with the Young Bucks and FTR. Um... The books say, thank you, the last two weeks you've helped us out. And the dicks, FTR, deserved to be flustered and outclassed on the mic. That's <laughs> <laughs> what people say on Reddit, isn't it? Outclassed, outclassed on, on out, the mic. You got outclassed on the mic. It's like, it's a work, you idiot. They're not Ain't actually... no genius with a stick in my hand. But I am with some trunks around my ass. <laughs> <laughs> in my friend's hands, it's a pipe bomb. I don't need to name the guy. I think you know what I'm talking about. You're name Phil. <laughs> 
I'm on first name terms. He's my friend. Did you know that? Anyway, sits down. <laughs> Renee sits down with that. You know, I think Callaway said some pretty smart things about the state of his business. And Cash knows it all too well. <laughs> <laughs> We've all suffered a few broken bones. <laughs> Shut up, man. So she sits down with FTR on the books, and then they say, oh, thanks, thanks, FTR, <laughs> for saving our asses. Uh, it wasn't about you. Yeah. When you do that. Anyway. So um, I'll say this for Dax. He sets, he sends himself up brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just as a quick detour of the many that we do on these podcasts, I love wrestling. It's so stupid. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> They're the most thin-skinned people alive. Like, Dax on his pod and on Twitter. Like, I, I get it. I've been there when, like, people are, it's pylons and you just yeah. want to lash out. And he's done that before. They're very thin-skinned. I'm thin-skinned. And yet, the whole point of wrestling is, can I say the worst thing about you mm-hmm. to get heat and get a reaction? And they have to say, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to. Like they, ha- like, they had to say, oh, Dax, for this to have happened, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson has had to say, oh, Dax, you know, everyone thinks you're a dickhead. <laughs> and... Really earnest and corny on Twitter. I'm going to go after that. Okay, yeah, it's a business. Yeah, it's weird. It's uh, yeah. It's, he's... Uh, it blows my mind. Like, how do you broach the subject? Like when MJF, remember the New Year's resolutions with the Inner Circle? Vaguely, I think. And they were saying, "Ah, oh, like championships, yeah, yeah." And MJF was like, "No fat people in 2021. <laughs> fat people have to go." Yeah, and that was like a little Easter egg for him turning on the then. Pretty fat, let's face it, Chris Jericho. Yeah. He himself has said it. How, like, how does this happen? Especially with Jericho, who's like your, your senior. You have to say to him, oh, by the way, you know how I'm working on this mystery angle about who's going to turn on who, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're, you know, we're dropping Easter eggs left, right, and out the ass. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to call you fat. <laughs> Can I call you fat Chris Jericho? Yeah. Self-appointed undertaker of the locker room. <laughs> and Jericho has to go, like doing the Homer Simpson in the mirror, it's like, well, not fat, but you can say it. Yeah. How do these conversations happen? For a Dax here, you've got to be knowing of your character flaws and yet somehow continue to exhibit them. At some point, you must hear this so often and go, oh, is, is this actually a me thing? I know. Maybe I'll change and then not change. <laughs> yes. I guess there's something to be said for just owning... What people see as your flaws and being able to monetize them, I guess. It's I just know. so I don't understand how they can be thin-skinned and work with it, and then remain to be thin-skinned. Huh. You know why that is, kid? Is because you're not in this business. Exactly. You can talk about it. I've got no understanding about the inner workings of this business. I, I don't. I'm not falling I, on your goddamn back eight nights a week. I just want to see the WhatsApps, man. <laughs> I want to see the WhatsApps. Anyway, so they sit down and they talk about how is this is about the title for you, or it goes beyond the title. It's about the generational rivalry. Who really is the best of this generation, and all the rest of it. Um, but you know, we got the belts, we got the belts, we got the straps. That means that we're the best. And the books go, well, you know, we're already made. Mm. We're already Nick Jackson goes. We're already made. I think it's more about you beating us. Like we don't need to beat you. Like we're already made. If you can beat us, then you know you can be in the conversation. And like Cash hates this. Cash has got that far away look in his eye for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. He was not really present. That adds to the intrigue. I think of all of this. And then Dax starts talking about you know, uh, on Monday morning, I need to be able to go home and look at my family in the eye. And you're like, I'm boring myself with it. I keep talking about legacy. This moment, I'm like, oh, you're still talking about this. <laughs> and at that exact moment, Matt Jackson, who I love, 
I think he's one half of the actual best tag team ever. His acting's not usually great. Mm-hmm. He starts to go, oh, God damn it, Dax, again with this. And then he explodes. And goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. Like, we get it, we get it, we get it. And you go, my daughter, my... And then, like, Dax is like, leave my fucking daughter out with this. Yeah. Believe him as well. And it's like, we're sick of this. We're sick of this. Like, legacy, legacy, legacy. You want to talk about legacy? Who gives you this legacy? How are you able to feed your daughter? How do you think you've managed to build this legacy in AEW? We brought you in. We got you jobs. You came here to work with us, all this sort of stuff. And, like, he, he completely annihilates on the mic Dax Harwood. And then Dax Harwood is able to say nothing. Yeah. He gets cooked. I guess so. Is yeah. that what the kids say? I think so. He gets cooked on that mic. <laughs> and he's, he, he's got... He's Outclassed on the microphone. He's got... He says... I don't know if this is, like... This is so effective. Yeah. I think that it's worked. Obviously, it's wrestling. But they've basically made a pact to say, we'll, we'll say these things and, you know, let's just not script it and react how you would. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Dax takes himself very, very seriously and he was left flustered and outclassed on the mic. Uh, <laughs> he was. I thought this was tremendous. Uh, this should not a bug. I'd rather he was left speechless and irate and flustered because he can feel it from him. And they've obviously said, well, I'll, you know, say these things and I'll react how I'm going to react. I, away from Dax, because I think you've just covered off everything about the man, everything that he's great at. And so and everything phenomenal at pro wrestling. I feel like I have to add the caveat every time. They're complex people, ref, uh, wrestlers, aren't they? Yeah. But if I'm like, I'll tell you what I really liked about this, aside from the Dax stuff, which was there for the taking, just like when he was, when they were building the MJF and Adam Cole match. It's there, isn't it? You want to see it get said. Um, I was really unconvinced by this, you know, like the elite always obviously think beyond just what you're watching now and like how it's going to feed into something much bigger. Truthfully, for better or worse at this point, but at some point it was for so much for better that AEW existed. So they've got a lot of leeway. I was not at all into this strange, passive-aggressive, not asked era of the Young Bucks. And I think I got it a bit here. Like the Young Bucks, that feels like where we're at. You know, Bullet Club is fine. Yeah. Young Bucks are not asked. Feels like is where we're going. Like, oh yeah, yeah legacy, whatever, yeah, we're in the belts. We just believe we're the best tag team, so this isn't really about validation for us. Even if it's not... It's about the taking the validation from you, but it's not about winning it for us. Even if it's not hand of the author, I feel like they're getting a little bit defensive about it as well. Yeah, and I, I bought it here. I'm not suggesting that it's going to work in every context. I didn't think it worked against the guns. I can't buy that the young books aren't arsed when they're supposed to be fighting for the bloody life of the elite against the Bullet Club gold. But I bought it here. This is maybe the one situation. And again, them if they ever interact with CM Punk, I buy it there too. That's where above it all Young Bucks fits and it fit here. Yeah. Like when Nick Jackson was like, Man, Yeah. If we lose, we'll lose. We're already made. It's more about you. It's like, do that, you That's going to make Dax blow his top. Like that. Do you believe that? Uh-huh. I don't know. I kind of gauge the reactions for Are you Sunday completely though. checked out? They've tried, I think, to get the heel reaction out of the Young Bucks. And oh, I just I. don't know if people have just desperately wanted to see AEW for five years, if you include All In, have wanted to see these wrestlers. A bit of a trivia about message. You know, I saw Kenny Omega's last match in the UK, and I'm going to see his next one too. Uh, yeah. In Wolverhampton in 2017, that was the last time the Elite wrestled here. And, like, people want this so much that I don't think they're going to do the Young Bucks. So I, I'm, I don't know. I can't call how it's going to feel on the I'll night. I'll certainly be cheering them on. 
well, love FTR as well. You can like them both at the same time. But I think you might get the... And it worked with the Briscoes feud as well, didn't it? It was dual and chance every time for yeah. all three of those matches, and I think you'll get that. I think yeah. it'll be half and half. Absolutely. Like, Dax Harwood went full Charlie Nicholas here. <laughs> <laughs> Even at the full Charlie Nicholas. I feel so guilty because I just want to... <sighs> such mutual contempt because it's 10 to 1. My voice yeah. is getting a bit hoarse. I'm losing my energy. It's time for the women's match to recap it. And it was yet another heatless, butchered by commercial break, seven minutes, outcasts offshoot kind of match that existed to... Oh, God, we've got to put the women's match on, aren't we? <laughs> seven minutes, butcher it with a break, um, have Ruby so uh, uh, do the title thing, because she's going to start land in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, that's lunch. <laughs> Yeah, but Sige, this, this fed like into the complete lack of story for Sunday's match in the way that it... That's the end of my sentence. Cause, yeah. Because it didn't. Like, Tony Storm was in the match. She only came on the like, sort of ramp. I would love nothing better, genuinely, to really dedicate more time to this than AEW do and talk about what I liked in the match and really put the women over. It was agented to be nothing. Yeah, of course it was. You know what I mean? Like, there's no to see anymore. You have to, and there's money to do it, but there's obviously... Ruby, Hose, Ruby so hope it's sky blue. Yeah, there's no willingness to do it, and, you know, we can all we can have these conversations and referendums, it's just sad that we even have to. But you basically need to forcibly tell a group of male wrestlers there's less time for this. Sorry, like, these are secondary concerns, rampage it is, whatever collision it is. Um, and then with your new committee of... A minimum of five, probably more women, uh, creative minds, not just the coaches, the actual creative forces, writers, whatever, uh, backstage. Say, so right, here you go. There's an extra segment on Dynamite that now is for you. Let's start. Can we start booking and cooking? Because there's been neither of either, and that's why we're left with another four way yeah. in the rich history of them. Uh, and this is the go home. Think about all the things we've already said in reviewing the show. Well, at least on the go home, they got it right. At least they found some fizzle. They couldn't because there's no story in the first place. There's nothing to put in the pan for this woman's match because there's no story in the first place. There's no ingredients that have been added. It's just says four of the minute. They're pretty good. And Soraya's from the country. I'll, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do. Eat your slop. That's a lovely homage. <laughs> a lovely homage. Um, penultimate segment. Um, it's very basic. We've got the House of Black, um, the video shown on Collision, or the visual imagery of Billy Gunn Law or whatever it was. Yeah. I didn't pay much attention, to be honest. He took his and, boots. Um, Billy Gunn. Uh, sorry, no, the, the acclaim come out, full of piss and vinegar. They say, come on, let's have a bare knuckle fight then. <laughs> and uh, they come out, get their asses kicked. Billy Gunn comes out to make the save, thus setting up the match at all in. Now, you might have gauged by my tone that I couldn't care less about this. That is, in, in fairness, complete... It is completely antithetical to the reaction in the audience because Daddy Ass got an Austin 98 pop. Yeah. He's so goddamn over. I don't get it, but he is, he is, he is. And they set up the third trios match between the Acclaimed and the House of Blig. And I personally couldn't care less, but the fans are into it, and I'm thinking, huh? Because the first two, the second one was story, glorified angle of a, one-sided slaughter that yeah. had to go that way for Billy Gunn to go, Jesus Christ, I wasn't even in that. I have to, I've, I've embarrassed myself, my boots are in the ring, and that leads us to this moment. I don't know why the fans are so energized about a match they did not care at all about, a double or nothing. It's one thing to do MJF and Cole again. 
because they've built it so wonderfully. Mm. It's another thing to do the Bucks versus FTR again. Do we need a rematch from one of the worst matches at Double or Nothing, which was one of the, probably the third worst AEW pay-per-view? It's the only thing that the House of Black have had on the go, so yes, for that reason, but that's not a good reason. Um, I mean, they're probably going to do... The thing is, is the reason why they're not... This would be big or justifi- it's justifiable because they're so over and it's good for business. Yeah. In terms of my very strict standards, it would be justifiable if Daddy Ass... This makes sense for him to put his career on the line and say, you know what, if I can't beat you, then I probably should retire. That's badass, Billy Gunn. Yeah. The fact there's no retirement step makes me think that the House of Black are going to win and face LFI in Chicago at All Out. Oh, yeah. But why do That's this match dusted, then? Though, isn't it? I don't, like, I don't know. Like, the, I'll if, let it play out, I guess. Yeah, it feels like the there should be like an angle klaxon blaring somewhere here, and there's not... Because if the acclaim just like if this is just one of them nice result on the nice things and the acclaimed and Billy Gunn win the belts, like they should have put the retirement on the line. Yeah, because they're not going to get the work rate. Based Sorry on, to be based know, on the evidence. Nice message board guy, but it's pretty important in AEW. And when you don't have it, you don't have the atmosphere. Realistically, we saw that at Double or Nothing. Well, it stands to be one of the quieter matches on the show, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and if we saw it at Double or Nothing, it was yeah. just a nothing match. Mm. If the acclaimed are going to win. You should put Daddy Ass's ass on the line. <laughs> you need that. Oh, don't retire, Daddy Ass. We'll make some noise to get behind your babyface comebacks because we don't want to see you retire. Surely, if they claim they're winning, that's the way to go. And if they're not winning, why do it three friggin' times? I think that's it as well. I think like, it's all odd. Surely, the House of Black have to retain, but this story requires the babyfaces to win the belts. Neither outcome's that satisfying to me. Yeah, and the match, I'm not excited well, about remotely. They've got to like. I saw it live, and it was bobbins. Yeah. They've got to turn around this dip in form to have a good match here, haven't they? These two yeah. trios. Chemistry is not there yet, so no. we've got to see if it will be. Ah, people go, it's like, this House of Black thing, you couldn't have, doesn't matter that they'll never ever be for me, you couldn't have deprived the Wembley crowd of the age. There's absolutely loads of people. Well, we, we, they were the most overact in the building, yeah. in the MGM Grand at least. There's going to be we Vegas. loads like, finally, we have got our like, next slash new Undertaker, and there's like four of them. Yeah. That's where we're at now, and people would have been disappointed, I think, to not get this act on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, main event time. Not much to it, so I'm going to race through it. It's Aussie Open, mercifully defeating... Shame the Hardys didn't. Aussie Open, mercifully defeating the Hardys in about eight minutes it went. Mm. If I'm being honest, I might have got on my phone <laughs> when I was watching this because I've just got no interest in watching the Hardys wrestle in 2023. I've... Use the analogy in ups and downs, which again is a transcript, but you can read it if you want. Uh, whatculture.com slash WWE, where everyone's got a second wind in them. Okay. You could be a 45 year old smoker with bad knees. If you've got a bus to catch and it's imperative that you catch it, you're going to no sell your body and just sprint and run and get it. Yeah. Okay. Even if you could never run that distance with your own motivation. Because they had to get the hell out of there in eight minutes to <laughs> facilitate the post-match angle, the Hardys were effectively bullied and it was sprint. <laughs> and it was quite fast and it was not dramatic. Yeah. It was not particularly well worked, but it was faster than a normal Hardy Boys match. Maybe this is the trick to get them moving. Right, you have to get in there and get out and do it quickly. All right, okay. Uh, they were panicked into a faster match than normal. 
Can't and do, as a result, I wasn't that bored or depressed. Can't do like a Marty Skrull all in, where you got the thingy that every. Go home! I never, never want to do Marty Skrull. <laughs> I, I didn't get that, but... It was faster than normal. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Maybe I just looked at my phone and then saw the finish. Yeah. No, that was really slow. Yeah, I just thought it was crap. Caught, that like, wasn't good. Poetry I'm putting my audio over. Poetry in slow motion. Just <laughs> <laughs> of late. <laughs> Whispering the slight breeze. <laughs> like Matt Hardley. <laughs> the Hardley boys, remember that? Uh, I, I was just, I was glad they didn't do the blow the world up title change and I'd forgot like this is my fault like MJF built all that kangaroo kick stuff in in the that vignette yeah. last week and MJF probably might not be able to enter the country he never could for impact could he no no shame just some so anyway it's pretext to the angle which frankly we've seen about five times I didn't need this I did because I'm a thicker wrestling fan than you I was like get him out there again remind me show me they needed to do this moments ago for people like, like you. Yeah, I've, this makes this case. show feel you more joyful. Why do you call yourself thick? Because I appreciate what like WWE basically embedded into you. That well, if the characters only appear once, then uh, it, like the story doesn't really count. And AW fell victim to that too often for me. Like you've had your MJF and Adam Cole bit, you're not getting any more of them. This was what was advertised on the big graphic. That's what you're getting. See you later. I, I like collisions. Use this to great effect. Be on there twice, three times if you matter. Steve Austin was on Raw eight times because his character mattered, and I like that. I, re- I didn't expect, I thought, graphic, Aussie Open win, see you Sunday, because how many dynamites go off the air like that? Yeah. I love that they were back out there for the top so They went tail back thing. out there, and they did the usual thing of cool babyface tag team, but they might split up. I'm not, it sounds really snarky. Go back and listen to what the. 15 minutes into this podcast where I speak lovingly about the MJF and Adam Cole sit-downs. I didn't need this because it was very much... You've, it's just regurgitating that which you've already established. We know that there's a slow, a slow burn bit of dissension. Mm. It's not going to end well, and there's miscommunications. It was basically that. This way around, it was... Hold him back, super kick him. Oh, no, he's escaped. Oh, but I've just stopped short of doing the super kick. I don't really buy that as is, is is such an obvious... Obviously, I didn't mean to hit you in the face yeah. because I was trying to hit Fletcher or uh, Divers, whichever, whichever one it was. <laughs> I can't remember either. Sometimes I forget which one it is. <laughs> At least when one of them used to be really little until he got suspiciously massive all of a sudden, you could tell. Anyway, uh, so then, uh, and then they go, I don't know, Diamond ring out the pocket, Cole doing his thing. No, no, let's have a hug. I've, I've seen it, but I understand you need to do a hard sell for Wembley. I just think it places prominence on the characters. Okay. I, I like feeling... I mean, if you're a... Goldfish. Idiot. Goldfish. Brain dead goldfish fed fan. I do believe in that feeling I of prominence. I still believe. Because <laughs> when you are with me... Conflict with, this, MJ Hug. Conflict with the Lost Boys saxophone during the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Performance centre tapers, and I still believe. Oh, why? All the faces of the Thunderdome turned to me. No, it's uh, I like this is the biggest story. It's the best thing they've got. Like shine a spotlight we'll on jury it. Infuriating it. And sell it. Like the vignette in ring thing they were doing. That they are having to sell two programs. So you could argue that the first half was to sell the singles, and this was to sell the tag because this was Aussie Open adjacent. How's that? When you're right, you're right. And there we go. When you're right, you're right. 
Let us know what you thought of this mostly positive <laughs> AEW podcast on X, X. at WhatCultureWWE under the link to this podcast. Whilst you're there, you can follow Hamflet on X at Michael Hamflet. You can follow me on X at M Sidgwick. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the pods. Um, gauge them by some replies I've had on Twitter. We might need the numbers because some <laughs> people have fallen out of love with us. But I'll tell you what. People say it's edgy, but I can't be any other way. <laughs> Have a lovely day. You are going to get good faith, passionate critique of this promotion. We don't deal in bad faith, attention grabbing, or toxic positivity. That it was Ibu of Wrestle Purists who theorized that the reason why the Brits who he's subsequently made friends with because he's the best guy. Legend. Or maybe a little bit more negative on AEWs because of the time of the day we have to watch it. I think there really is something in that. Plus, not even just AEW, that's like, in our case, like nearly 35 years of this. Yes. Of this. But we will always strive to tell you what we think. We're going to tell you how it is. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's never become one of them. Follow Ebu. At, wait there, you have to follow him. I think most of wrestling Twitter does, to be fair. He's got himself quite the following. He's still got the old backup hangman. At backup hangman. What an absolutely lovely bloke. Yeah. Who I couldn't speak highly, more highly of. Yeah. I think he's wonderful. He's the one bridge in the gap between the old Brit and the Yanks at the moment, isn't he? He is. I admire that. He just knows what's up. Yeah. Have a lovely day. Safe travels if you're attending All In. And if you're there and you see us... 99.9% of the time will be deliriously happy to have a chat. Yeah, come over and say hello. Please, Please do. do. We'll be doing more of this, like, all in and collision and everything else as well. The podcast don't stop. Content never sleeps, does it? We'll still be covering all of this. It didn't work in August. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on? Has he had a goddamn kid or something? And where the fuck is Stags? Don't know where Stags is. Yeah, he's uh, championship commitments in there. In the pool or whatever. In the press, press. yeah. I will, but there's more coming later this week, isn't there? I'll have loads of it. See you later, guys. See you later, Smackdown as well. See you later, guys. Bye, Stacks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 